I'm Siri Lindley, two-time world champion, author, speaker, animal activist, survivor, and thriver. I have found a way to overcome every challenge and to take the impossible and make it possible. On my podcast, we're going to talk real life. We're going to get vulnerable. We're going to go first. You're not alone in your fears, your doubts, or your worries. The most successful people in the world have them. Stick with me on this journey. I will help you harness your power, claim your magic, and create the life that you dream of. So, Jeff, welcome. Thank you for being here with me today, with my audience today. I can't wait for this conversation. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to have an opportunity to, to, to get to finally meet with you. Well, me too. I've heard so many amazing things about you. So I've been looking forward to this day and now it's finally upon us. And I just want to get to know you better. I know that you came from humble beginnings. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up and who young Jeff was? Uh, I actually grew up uh, in, I live in Florida, Tampa, Florida. Actually, I grew up uh, about an hour south of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I lived in a really small community where everybody was born there. They lived there. And unfortunately, most of them died there. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, my, father, my father had a grocery store and he had a lot of different businesses and whatnot. Uh, I didn't really have the typical childhood because I didn't really get to go play or do anything like my friends did. We got kicked out of bed at four o'clock every morning to go to work. <laughs> And, you know, part of what my dad did was he was a bail bondsman. So when my uh, buddies in high school went to go to football practice, I was going to the jail giving criminals rides home. So, wow, that's it was an interesting childhood. But I got to tell you, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Wow. And so, I mean, you learn work ethic pretty young. Oh, absolutely. How important, you know, being involved in business. So how did growing up that way impact you and who you are today? Like, would you, would you change anything? No, I wouldn't because what I learned actually from being around, uh, like I said, it's a small town, really small minded people. Um, I, I learned a lot of things. Number one is, is that most of the people who told me that, you know, I, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I would never be able to do certain things are people that had never done it themselves. And plus by being around all these criminals that my dad bailed out of jail, I really learned what not to do rather than what to do. Yes. And, yes. And, you know, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't until I was, I think I was in the eighth grade and a teacher at my school was organizing this trip to Europe. And it was like, 700 bucks to go for 10 days, super cheap. And I begged my dad to go because I was a big James Bond fan and I wanted to see all this stuff. And I'd never been on a plane before in my life. I'd never left the country. I'd never done any of this. And when I went over there, it's just like a whole new world opened up. Just a a whole new world, stuff I'd never seen before, people I've never seen before, things I'd never experienced. And that one trip gave me the catalyst to go out and get more. I knew that's the life I wanted. I know I knew that I wanted to experience things and do things. And if I'd have been stuck 
where I was in Georgia, none of that would have happened. Because it's so true. It takes that one time where you get out and see the world that then you can't imagine your life without seeing more of it, right? But I think for probably a lot of the people that you talk about that were born in, in your town and died in your town, like if you don't know any different, you don't necessarily want or need anything more. So how did your parents feel about their son taking off and doing something that they'd never done before. Well, my dad thought I was nuts. In fact, my, my dad wanted to give me the business. And he really got quite upset when I told him I didn't want it. I didn't want anything to do with it. And it was kind of one of these things. I worked my ass off all these years. I came from nothing to build this for you. And now you don't want it. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I don't because this isn't going to give me you know what I want which really led me to another thing is is I knew that his opinion of me would not be good for me to strike out and do my own thing but at the end of the day I was living my life not his so at that point I really stopped caring or that was the beginning of me stopping to care what other people thought and I think that's one thing that holds people back uh, it, it holds so many people back in pursuing the hopes, dreams, and, and aspirations that they have in their life. It's simply the stupid notion of thinking it's going to offend somebody or thinking that they care. When in reality, most of the people that they, that, that they think that care aren't thinking about them in the first place. How true is that? But so how do you do that, Jeff? Because I mean, you hear this with people not only in their 20s and their 30s, but sometimes people that look back and say, I lived the life that my parents wanted me to live. Like, what did you have that you can share with with the listeners? Like, how did you do that? How did you break away from what your parents wanted you to do? Very simple. The way that I learned, which was years after that I had left, but the way that that all came into totality, I almost died. Wow. Um, I had uh, I had had a cancer issue. And I was terrified. Yeah, I thought I was going to die. I was I was blaming everything. Everybody should have just been blaming myself. But I but I didn't. And I, I realized that life was so short to really care what people think. And I had gone through this. Uh, I had gone through this incredibly painful procedure. And uh, I was screaming at the doctor, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. He, he grabbed me by the hand, and he said, chill out, son. You're already dead. What? And I went, like, what? what? What the hell? Of course, that made me forget about the pain that I was going through. <laughs> so I see him the next day. And I like, why the hell are you? Did you tell me you're already dead? He says, you need to live every day like it's the last one on earth, like it's the last day that you have. You're already dead. And and he said, think about it. it this, you know, from a from an asshole oncologist who gave me this life lesson because he was a jackass. He really was. <laughs> but for him to give me, but him to tell, it was, it was just amazing. 
He says, think about when you were a kid, it was your last day at school. You're going to get out for the summer. On that last day, you can do no wrong. Whatever you do doesn't matter because there is no tomorrow. School's out. That's how you need to live, live your life. Wow. From the most unlikely. From the most source. unlikely source that you could possibly imagine. Okay, so Jeff, now how old are you at this point when this happened? Uh, when that happened, I was 32. Okay. I'm wow. 57 now. So I didn't know this about you. I didn't know that you had a cancer scare because I can, I totally agree with you. You know, I faced a life or death situation with leukemia a couple of years ago. And I think one of the most powerful and beautiful gifts that came out of it is that I realized how precious every single moment of life is. It and truly like is. Said, it's like I now live my life entirely on purpose. There is not a moment where I'm not doing something that I want to be doing that is on purpose for me. And it sounds like, I mean, you got that at age 32, which is such a powerful gift amidst the pain of having to go through that and the struggle, but it's really like a wake-up call. And so when you told your parents and you told your dad, I'm not taking on the company, I'm going off and doing my own thing, how did he respond to that? How did your mom respond to that? Uh, my dad and I didn't speak for five years. Wow. After that, we, we, didn't, we did not speak. And actually, uh, he had a heart attack and he almost died. And I went to the hospital to be with him because I'm like, well, this is stupid uh, for me not that. Yeah. So he and I, he and I got along great ever since. He, he actually passed away six years ago. Oh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. So it, it, took, it took him almost dying for, for us to reconcile. And, and it's one of those deals. You know, he, he grew up a real hard rough, tough guy. And he didn't express his feelings really much at all. So, you know, know, he was, you know, for lack of a better term, he was a knucklehead. And I guess, you know, everyone is at some point or another. And, and, and so if, if I, if, if we were going to reestablish a relationship, I knew he wasn't going to do it. I knew that I was going to do it. And I, and I loved him and I missed him terribly. And, you know, the, the thing is, is that when, you know, after I had broken away from him and we had, we had, had reconciled, um, there were things that I wanted to do and things I was telling him that I wanted to do. And he would tell me that, no, you're, you can't do that. You're not, you know, you're not educated enough to do that. You're not smart enough to do that. You know, nobody can do that. And quite honestly, that was the fuel that I used um, you know, he, I wanted to buy a lake house one time and I was telling him that I wanted to buy a lake house. And he says, you'll never be able to afford it. Cause back then it was like $400,000 and I bought the house. I didn't even like the house. I bought the house within six months, just basically to say F you to him. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can. And, and, and the thing is, is that he never, never once did he ever tell me he was proud of me and all that. It just wasn't his way. And, and I don't, I don't begrudge him for that, but when I bought the house and he comes down uh, to see it, he sees this spot 
near the house and he had a motor home and he asked me, could I wire him up a hookup so he could park his motor home there on the weekends? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. I can do that. I said, well, I just want to thank you for this. He's like, well, why? I didn't buy this place. I said, yeah, but I bought this because you told me that I couldn't. And I saw this little smirk on his face. That's the closest thing he ever said to saying he was proud of me. And you know what? That was good enough for me. Absolutely. Some people, like you say, just don't know how to communicate that. So how having a, a dad that didn't really know how to communicate his emotions, how are you so good at that? Like, how did you become that way? Cause well, actually, that I, I take after my mother. Uh, my, my mother, my, my mother is, uh, she's 82 years old. She only had one job in her whole life. She, uh, she worked for the Norfolk Southern Railroad in Atlanta. Uh, she retired as a VP of operations. She was there for like 50 years and she was born practically deaf. So she is like the most insane lip reader alive. And she doesn't meet a stranger. She, she talks to anybody and everybody about everything. And she grew up in the railroad and that was definitely a man's world. So it, my mother even now could embarrass a truck driver talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. She's, she's, she's great. Wow. Okay. So, well, that's amazing. So it sounds like you had the perfect combination for parents. So you buy the lake house. And that's your way of using the fuel of your dad kind of saying it was impossible. Your success from that point, like once you reconcile with your dad, then what becomes your fuel for wanting to achieve the enormous success that you've had? Well, that's kind of a bittersweet thing because um, I was married to my first wife at that point, and we did not really have the best relationship. Um, we didn't fight. We didn't argue. We never had crosswords. And that was probably the problem. Um, I was so busy doing my thing with my company and she was busy doing her thing. We were both gone all the time. And like I tell people, uh, if you're not around somebody, you can get along, you can get along with anyone if you're not around them. And, and so it, it got to one of those points to where I started to I started to believe that if I bought this, things would be better. Or if I made this much money, things would be better. If I bought a, a place on the beach, things would be even better. None of that's true. None of it's true. You can't make any kind of benchmarks and any kind of a material wealth and thinking it's going to improve a relationship because it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. Now, I made a lot of money doing that. And I acquired a lot of stuff and, and certainly gave me a lot of assets to split up years later. But, <laughs> but, but you, know, you know, she's a wonderful woman. I still love her. Uh, yeah, yeah, she, we're just very, 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 very different people. Very different people. We have three wonderful children. They're all very successful in the, the things that they do. And uh, so I, I have no regrets whatsoever. Uh, there were things that I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to move to Florida. I wanted to live on the water. I knew that she didn't. 
And, and, and that wasn't the only thing, but, but obviously there were just, you know, our dreams and our goals were, were not aligned. And, um, and, and so when we split up, I felt incredibly bad about it. I really did. And and who wouldn't, I I felt insanely bad about it. And the, the, the thing though, that I came to realize is that even the mistakes that we make, we make mistakes uh, we make errors, we make misjudgments. Uh, I truly believe that God and the universe, they weave blessings into those. Yes. If you let it happen, if you let it happen. And, and so I left, uh, I, I moved down here, didn't know anyone. Um, about a year later, uh, I met the lady who's now my wife and, and we're, totally aligned with everything. And, you know, and and had it not been for the mistakes and whatnot I had made, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in now. I'm a much happier human being now than I was seven, eight years ago. Amazing. Amazing. Much happier. So when we talk about like, oftentimes our greatest work and, and greatest successes emerge from our lowest points. Yes. And what would you say was the lowest point in your life? Um, and how did that eventually impact what came next? When I graduated from high school, my father walked it the night that the, the morning that I graduated from high school, my father walks into my bedroom and he has this Tom McCann shoe box, which I still had. And in the box was $25,000 in cash. Now in 1982, that was a lot of money. And he gives me the box and he says, this is where my responsibilities for you end. Oh my God. Wow. He says, you can, I wanted to do this with my children, but, but my wife wouldn't let me. He says, (laughs) He says, you can take the money to do whatever you want to do. You can go to college with it, start a business. You can go to Vegas and blow it all. But this is until the day I die, this is the last thing you're ever getting from me. And he says, oh, and you have three days to get the hell out of my house. That was the last night that I ever slept under his roof. Wow. So years later. I, uh, in a different business I was in, I really had this perfect storm of bad things that could happen. A lot of things that were beyond my control. And I was this close to losing everything I had. I mean, really was going to lose my, my house, my business, my family. I was going to lose it all. And I knew that he could bail me out of it if he wanted to. So I had probably the most frank conversation I had ever had. He was a really hard guy to talk to. And I I had the most frank conversation that I'd ever had with him. And I'm telling him all these problems. He's sitting there. He's understanding. He's like, wow, that's bad. That's bad. Wow. I can see why that happened. He says, I'm going to help you. I said, thank you. He says, don't thank me yet. He says, I'm going to give you the best help that I could ever give you. I said, what's that? 
He says, you know what I'm going to do? I said, what? He says, not a fucking thing. He says, you were big enough to get in it. You're big enough to get out of it. Wow. Powerful. And I did. I, I got out of it. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm sitting there going, wow, nobody's going to dig me out of this hole, but me. And I did what I had to do to get out of it. And, you know, within six months I did. So what did that give you? I mean, that's powerful. And I think so many of us are so scared to not be there to rescue our loved ones. But sometimes that's exactly that is the best way to help them. So. It, it is the best way because I, I see how I see how people will just bail their children out yeah. on the smallest whims. And I say, you're not helping them. And my, my philosophy is that I would never let my children sink and drown, but I will let them flap in the wind for a long time. I love that. It's the only way. It's the only way that you help them because otherwise without, you know, you, know, if, if you, can't, you can't constantly be the backstop to someone else's mistakes. And that's another big lesson that I learned. If, if, if you're the backstop of, of every, every mistake that your children make, that makes, that your spouse makes and whatnot, it's, there's not going to be anything left for you. Nothing but animosity towards them and yourself for doing it. Yes. Yeah. So what traits, Jeff, would you say you developed out of necessity uh, from that time that have served you so beautifully in building the business and career that you have? Really simple, focus and obsession. You can't, I see behind you, you were in the Olympics. Uh, that's me winning the world championships. All right. You were pretty damn focused and obsessed getting that, weren't you? Yes. There's no one, there's no one who is excellent at anything, sports, arts, music, business, nothing, who isn't obsessed and focused 110% on what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And what and, else? And the other thing, the other thing is that I was, I was worried about a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I was watching television when the planes hit the twin towers and everyone, you know, my phone was ringing off the hook, everybody, and, you know, and we've been in, in bad, you know, emergency time since then. Yeah. And so the, the one thing I had to stop and, and ask myself is that, you know, number, you know, yeah, yeah it's concerning, but if, if I, if I'm worried about something, I stop and ask myself, is there anything that I can do about it? If there's, and if there's, I tell, I tell my people all the time, if you will list out the things that you care about and the things that you're concerned and worry about, okay, list them, list them all down on a, on a legal pad. And then you start scratching through the things that you have no control over whatsoever and the things that really don't affect you. 90% of that list is gone. So you can take the remaining 
do something about that and a hell of a lot of your, of your problems get solved. I love that. And that sounds so simple because it's true. If you have no control over something, don't waste your energy worrying about it. No. Right? I mean, no. don't postpone joy by spending your whole life worrying. Okay, I love that. So you talk about how to create triggers that drive you to the next level in success. What do you mean by that? And how do we do that? Well, <clears throat> I developed the triggers by creating what, you know, what I would call an aha moment, okay? And the way that I define that aha moment is, is simply I realize to myself that something is in my life is totally unacceptable. And, and cause usually that's what it is. You want to change something from acceptable to from unacceptable to acceptable. So there's something in my life that's unacceptable. And once I have made that agreement in my head that that's not acceptable in my life, it's not going to help my, my health, my wealth, my relationships, my spirituality, none of that, then it becomes a lot easier from it, it, it's something that I'm willing to change. You can break a lot of goals that you have. You can break a lot of promises that you have yourself. But if there's something you're willing to do, it's hard to take focus off of that. Yeah. If it's something that you're willing to do. And yeah. so the triggers is find out what it is that you're willing to do to get out of whatever situation it is that you're in. Awesome. And that probably sprung from that time where your dad's not going to help you. No. And it's up to you. So. And, you know, and it, it was crazy too, because when I, when I was around um, all these, all these people, when I was a kid, you know, people who had done all kinds of stuff. And, and my dad, he, he also owned pool halls and pawn shops and all that stuff. It was, it was really the, the bottom of the barrel type, type stuff. Well, you know, I, I, was, I was already exposed to, you know, alcohol, to drugs. I didn't do drugs, but I was, all this stuff, I was exposed to it. You know, every vice imaginable back then, I was looking at it every day. So when I got to college and all the guys in my dorm were just now getting exposed to this for the first time, they were just going nuts. They were like, oh my God, this is, uh, you know, here, here's, here's like X-rated movies and here's, <laughs> you know, I can drink beer and I can do all this. And, and what, to me, it's just, just yeah, not a big deal because I was, I was exposed to it. What's interesting about that though, and I, I don't know what the answer is, but back then the legal drinking age in Georgia was 18. And where I went to high school, I would say probably 75, 80% of the boys had a gun in their trucks because they went hunting afterwards. 
every kid carried a pocket knife. I did too. People smoke. I never smoked, but they allow kids to smoke at school as long as they were outside. You know how many problems came from any of that? None. There were no school shootings. There was, there, there was none of that. I guess because, you know, it was a different generation growing us up. They knew that they would get the shit beat out of them when they got home. Yeah. <laughs> if, they, if there was any problems. But I, I, now I don't know. And like you're saying, though, like you were exposed to all this stuff. Yeah. So you didn't have the desire to go abuse any of it because it's no. like, whatever, I see that every day. I'm not, doesn't make me excited to see it now. So it's that kind of thing too, where it's suddenly not this weird thing. It's just, you have less desire to do anything with it because you've been it, around it your whole life. I was life. around it. And more importantly, because remember I told you, learning what not to do, I saw what the consequences were. Yes. Of, of, of doing that stuff. None of it good. Yeah. None of it, none of it good. So Jeff, when you talk about like creating a trigger, is that, am I correct in thinking that you deciding, I don't want to live this life, you know, carrying on my dad's business. I want to go and see the world and create something bigger. I mean, that's kind of a trigger in a way because you know that you are doing something that's going to be really hard. There's going to be consequences, but you're willing to do it. That's exactly right. That's, okay. that is, that is a hundred percent right. And then that's all you can focus on. It's like, there might be some pain. It might get uncomfortable. Oh, there was a lot of pain and discomfort. Believe me. Right. A lot, a lot, but you know, it, it's, it's like going to the gym. If you, if, if you don't walk out sore, you didn't really work out. Did you? That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You, you didn't really, you didn't, you, you didn't really do anything. It, it's people are, you know, you, you have to be willing to do two things. You have to be willing to endure pain. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is you have to be willing to look foolish. Yes. If you're not willing to look foolish at something, you're not going to accomplish anything. It's like riding a bike. You're going to look pretty damn foolish when you start riding a bicycle or start learning. But you have to look, look foolish before it actually yes. happens, before you learn it. Um, but the difference is, though, is that the older we get, the less foolish that we want to look. Or if you get like my 82-year-old mother, she could care less how foolish she looks. That's me. <laughs> That's me. That's me. But I hear you on that. And so here, I mean, in, in that situation, your dad's looking at you like you're being foolish in making mm -hmm. that decision. But you were willing to endure that because you knew what you wanted. Yes. And I love that. Now, this brings me to your book. Blame to fame, which I love the title, but I want to know more. Like, what does that mean to you? And, and tell us a bit more about what this book is all about. Well, I think that if blame were an Olympic sport, America would win the gold medal every year. <laughs> you know, the, 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 problem, the problem with blame is that uh, it, it doesn't, blame never solves a problem. OK, and imagine imagine how, uh, you, you know, it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on. What if they stop blaming each other? 
what would get done. And more importantly, how hard is it to swallow your pride every now and then and admit that you were wrong? Oh my God. And how much stronger does that make you? How much stronger would, would you be? Yeah. If, and, and people, uh, I tell people all the time that when you make a mistake and you admit it and you admit you were wrong, you actually get respect for that because no one does it. Yes. No, no one does it. So, so, you know, I talk in, in the book and it's, it's coming out pretty soon. It's not, it's not ready yet, but um, we talk about taking, taking all the blame that you have. You could blame your parents. You can blame the government. You can blame God. You can blame anything and everything, but None of that is helping you. In fact, it's doing nothing but making it worse. Blame doesn't solve, it doesn't solve any solutions. It just, if you're angry and you're blaming someone, then all it does is just inflames it and makes it worse. And what I talk about in there a lot is forgiveness and mostly forgiving yourself. Yes. So important. So, and do you agree, Jeff, like the blame just disempowers us? Oh, it absolutely does. We have an excuse as to why we're not as successful as we want or why we don't have the things that we want. So in the forgiveness part. Because blame is easy. Right. Blame is Blaming's easy. the easiest thing in the world to do. But doesn't it then make life that much harder eventually? Long it, term. It does. But unfortunately, most people don't think long term. They just think right now. They don't think about about how the pain of admitting that they were wrong or the, or the pain of, of admitting to themselves that they're wrong and change, they don't want to go through that. It's just easier just, just to blame. It's a, uh, it's a lot easier to, to sit on your ass and, and watch Netflix than it is to go to the gym. But that, the pain that you go through the gym at the gym is going to give you a more comfortable life. But the comfort that you have sitting in the chair watching Netflix is going to give you a more difficult life down the road. Definitely. So what inspired you? Because I love this and I think this is going to be such a powerful book. So please, I hope you're going to be posting about when it does come out. Oh, absolutely. So everyone can go purchase a copy. Um, what inspired you to write this book? about blame and about forgiveness? Just the climate that we're in. Just, just the climate that, that we're in. I, you know, I, could, I could take people, um, and going back to my childhood, um, where, where I grew up was mostly, uh, it wasn't farmland where I lived. They, they, either, they either worked in the woods, cutting down timber, or at the sawmills, or they worked in textile mills. And there were so many people that I knew, I knew 40 year old women that looked like they were in their seventies who would come in my dad's store every day, uh, working in the cotton mills, literally seven days a week, no time off, none, none whatsoever. And they were just blaming everybody for everything when in fact, no one was making them do it. They just couldn't see any further 
past the limitations either that they had for themselves or the limitations that some people that other people had put on them. Yes. And, you know, and like I said, it was a small community and small communities uh, like where I grew up have even smaller minded people. It's not necessarily their fault. It's just the environment that, that they're in, but they're not willing to explore and see anything further than that. They're not willing to experience anything like that. I'll, I'll give you a great example. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we travel a lot. And the first time that I went to the Middle East, uh, I was telling some friends of mine that I was that I was going over there, and they're like, "Oh my God, you're not scared? You're going to get blown up? You're not going to scare? You're not scared? You're going to get your your head cut off or your hand cut off or all that?" And that all this crazy stuff's happening over there. Well, did that happen when you were there? Oh hell no, because I've never been. Really? Well, how do you know this? This how do you know this is true if you've never been? Well, it's what I hear on the news. I'm like, I don't, I don't watch the, I don't even watch the news. That that's another thing. I These don't either. Influences from the news? No, because it's one of those things. I can't do anything about any of it anyway. Yeah, so why? I don't either. I'm right. Why there bother? Yeah. Why bother? Um, and so when I went, um, you know, the first place I went was Dubai. And that place was just unbelievable, just beautiful. And I've been seven, eight times since then. It changes every time you go. Uh, just an amazing city. And um, but a lot of people won't do it just simply because of of things that they hear, and they and they believe it. You know, it. I'll give you a great example. Living here in Florida, of course, we get hurricanes. And uh, a few years ago. A hurricane had had hit Naples, Florida, which is about three miles, th three hours south of me. Well, my wife and I were going to Miami and there was there's this restaurant in Naples. We like to stop and eat lunch. We stopped there and the hurricane had been through there maybe two weeks and we were watching the news and it was showing all this mayhem and devastation and all that. We drive through Naples. We see one or two trees knocked down, some a few blue tarps on a few roofs, but nothing else. So we go in the restaurant and I asked, I asked the server, where's, where's this shit storm that I see on the news? They said, that's, that's a trailer park 20 miles inland. It's the only thing that they're showing. Wow. It, it got blown away, but nothing else did. Wow. You know, when, when what happens, it gets you to just think that the only thing you're seeing is, is it that's reality. And, and that, and that's the problem. Everybody, everybody likes to focus on the worst of yeah. things. Why? Yeah. It makes you feel and, horrible. Yeah. Why? Yeah. You know, everybody, you know, the reason why there's so bad, much bad news is because that's what sales is bad news. I read an interesting, interesting statistic. I think Dartmouth had done it last year. They were talking about during the pandemic. They said that in, in the media in the U.S., it was 90% bad news, only 10% good news. In the Middle East, it was, uh, or in Europe, it was more like 70% bad news, 30% good news. The Middle Eastern and, and in Asia, it was more like 50-50 or 60-40. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So. Wow. Now tell me, Jeff, so you've had extraordinary success in your career and now extraordinary success with your wife. 
who yes. sounds like you have an amazing relationship. How do you balance the two? And what would you say are the key ingredients that you need in order to have it all in both areas? Is to always communicate. Yes. Always. Um, if, if, if occasionally, if, if she has something that I have a problem with, which is rare, um, I, I voice it out. I, I don't, you know, there's, there's nothing worse than this passive aggressive behavior. And, and like I mentioned before the show, she's from Russia. She has literally, she has no concept of what drama is. She really, it's all very matter of fact. I never have to guess what's on her mind. She tells me. Yeah, that's nice. Always, always. And, yeah. it, and, um, but you know, you know, you know, being with her is is never boring. It's always an adventure. Um, and at the end of the day, there's not a day that no, no matter how bad of a day, not not that we have bad days because we really don't. Uh, but there has not been one day that we've been married that she doesn't put a smile on my face. Amazing. And th that's a lot of people would kill to have that. Absolutely. Because it it's the little things. And it is. It's absolutely the little things. After almost losing your life, that really the little things are the big things. So that being said, with the extraordinary success you've had in your career, how do you feel about that? Like, like, how do you, what are the feelings that are associated with what you built from being a one man show to, you know, expanding at such uh, enormous levels. How do you feel about the success? Do you feel successful? Do you still feel like there's more? How do you feel about it? I get the most happiness out of helping other people succeed. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know this will sound very politically incorrect, but I have probably 13, 14 people that I brought on uh, to work with me that had nothing or less than nothing that are millionaires now. And by all intents and purposes, they should be living in a homeless shelter. That makes me be the most fulfilling thing ever. It, it really is, is, is the, to, so we have a lot of people that work with us and you know, we're in the insurance business. When I'm at a, uh, when, when I go to these social functions with my wife, people ask me what I do. I never tell them that I'm in the insurance business because that just opens up the biggest can of worms ever. Um, I'm a firm believer, and this is important for your listeners to hear, is that when someone asks you what you do, don't tell them that you're an accountant or an insurance agent or whatever. Instead, because it opens up a bunch of useless conversation, tell them about the problems that you solve. People don't really care about what you do, but they deeply care about what potential problems they have that you can solve. Yes. And so I don't tell people that I'm in the insurance business because I haven't written an insurance policy in 20 years. I train our top salespeople is what I do. 
And, and I tell people, I told someone the, the other day, I take people who should be homeless and make them into millionaires. That's what I do. <laughs> amazing. So anybody listening, if you're homeless, here's the guy you got. You're homeless. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's incredible. And I love that. I love that point. Cause how often do people say, what do you do? So if I was, you know, at a party and I see you and I say, ah, oh, Jeff, nice to meet you. What do you do? Yeah. Oh, if you were asking me yeah, that. So, so how, how would you answer? How would you answer that? I help salespeople up their game to put them into seven figures. That's what I do. Wow. And then people are like, okay. I'm okay. So talk about the car accident I had last week, I want to talk to you about, you know. So my wife, uh, I actually get, gave her her pitch line because she goes to way more of these events than I do. Part of the, one of the things she, she does is she does uh, weight loss at her med spa. If you were to ask her, what do you do? She says, I help women lose four to six dress sizes in 42 days. That's what I do. And then they'll, then they just stop. Oh, wow. How do you do that? Amazing. She tells them about the problem that she solves. I love that. And I love that. That's like giving, like, I feel like if you put a label on what you do, you're kind of diminishing. You really are you're making it so small. You're making it something that a lot of other people do. People yeah. want to know, like, but what do you really do? Like and a re- like if, like if you're a listing agent for a real estate listing agent, instead of saying that because everybody's that, I help people get top dollar for their houses. I love it. Listen to this, everyone. Yeah, I help people get it's top so dollar important. for their houses. If if you're if you're an accountant. I help people maximize their tax savings with the IRS. Amazing. You know, just any anything like that, because it's it's the problems that you solve. People aren't interested in what you do; they're interested in the problems that you solve. Yes. At the at the end of the day. Amazing. So, Jeff, if you could give your thirteen-year-old Seth self three pieces of advice that would have saved you time, energy, suffering, whatever, what would those three things be? I know that's a lot to ask for three, but I'm sure you'll totally deliver. The first thing would be not care about the opinions of other people. That would be, that would be the first thing. The second thing would be take better care of your health. Because you only got one of those, you know, you, you, you only have one life. And the third thing I would say is to really appreciate and serve others and try to do the right thing always. You're not always going to do the right thing because everyone makes mistakes, but, but there's there's a big difference between it, it, I've said that to someone before, and they say, "Well, serving others is that 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 doesn't mean having them run over you and 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 doing doing all the, this 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 crazy stuff." It's to help them grow. Yes, it is to help them grow because there are certainly people out there that have helped me grow. Someone was telling me one day that that. Uh, that they were totally self-made. And I said, that's bullshit. No one's totally self-made. Somebody got, you got help from someone somewhere. 
Yes. And, and the, the thing is, is that if you're looking to grow in anything, you need to seek the advice of someone who's either at or above the level to where you want to be, because they've already gone through the fight and the challenges that you're going to go through. And, and it's like, it's like anybody that's in, um, in any group of successful, whatever, it's almost like they all have the same story they're, they're, It's like, they're all a bunch of misfits and they understand each other. And so you're going to be surprised how much these people are going to be willing to help you. Some of them won't, most of them will, but the only way that that's going to happen, you have to ask. Yes. That this is such amazing advice. And this is why I love having people like you on my show, because this is such incredible guidance you're sharing from your own experience, which is going to give people, you know, much better, many more skills to make better decisions in their own life. But I love those three things. Don't care about what other people think, what their opinions are of you or what you're doing. Two was, oh my God, two, what was two? Just take care of your health. Take care of your health. And three, always try and do your best for other people. I mean, why do we all want to learn and become good at things? Like, we want to be able to share that, right? Like, we want to be able to teach someone else. So I appreciate you so much, Jeff, being I on appreciate you. You know, I, I would say that the one of the most life-changing books, and I'm sure you've read it, that anyone could read, would be the four agreements by Don ah, Miguel Ruiz. Yes. And, this and is if, my favorite. I have it everywhere. Yeah. And if, if everybody just kept one of those agreements, what a better world would this be? You're so right. Even just keeping one. Just keeping don't, one. Don't take things personally. Mm-hmm. Don't make assumptions. Be integrous with your word. Mm-hmm. And always do your best. That's basically. Always do your best. I love it. The biggest thing, though, is, and I think I think the one that gets overlooked the most is about being perfect with your word, because there's so many people that that they they do all this negative self-talk, and you're hearing yourself do that. Yes. Even if you stumble, kidding, like, oh, I'm a clumsy dumbass or whatever, some somewhere in here is going to believe it. Um, you know, I I, I think. I think that if, if people would go, I know you, we've all heard of 75 hard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I think what would be equally as equally as difficult as that is just to go 30 days and not let yourself down, not break any promises that you have to yourself, not let yourself down, do the things that, that you're supposed to do that when no one's looking, when no one's making you do it, um, if you can do that, uh, you can accomplish almost anything. I love that. So who's in? Who's in on this challenge? 30 days of being integrous with your word to you. We all think about wanting to be integrous with our word to others, but most importantly, you need to be true to you. you That's know, right. Be honest with the words you speak to yourself. Be true to the promises that you make yourself. That is even more important, I feel. I was, wa- I was at a conference. Uh, I was at a conference in, in Key Largo. 
a couple of weeks ago. And there was a general up there talking about loyalty. And I got to thinking about this. And later on, I had dinner with him and I said, General, I was thinking about what you said about loyalty and I won't get into all that. But I said, it seems to me it's impossible to be loyal to your country, to your partner, to God, to an ideal. It's impossible to be totally loyal to anything unless you become loyal to yourself. You have to be loyal to yourself first. If you're loyal to yourself first, then that loyalty is more genuine, more complete to whatever other, your business, your husband, your wife, uh, God, whatever. Oh, but you God. have to be loyal to yourself. And that is keeping your word perfect. It's not breaking promises to yourself. And not many people do that. And, and the thing is, if you, if, you're not, if you break a promise to yourself, don't dwell on it. Don't lament on it. Just for, forgive yourself. If you fall off the wagon, just make sure you jump your ass back on the wagon and yes. keep going. Yes. I love it. So who's in? 30 days of this, I think, is so incredibly powerful. And I agree that that loyalty to yourself is what allows you to be loyal to all things outside of you. Now, Def, how can people follow you, contact you, learn from you? What's the best way? Um, probably the easiest way is my Instagram. It's at the real Jeff Wright. Um, I put content up there three, four times a day or, or try to. Um, also, I have a website that's the real Jeff Uh, we have a Facebook group and honestly, I can't remember what it is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll search you out. You'll put us to work. Yeah. But, but but if you go on Instagram and we do a podcast called the Blame to Fame podcast, and if you go on my Instagram at the real Jeff Wright, uh, we have uh, the link tree in there in the bio that'll direct you to to everything that we have. Amazing. Well, I so look forward to reading your book. I so look forward to being on your podcast. Oh, I'm looking um, forward to that too. Week or two, but. Jeff, thank you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your experience, and all of who you are today. We so appreciate you. And Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, Jeff. Have an amazing week. And everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Bedhead Chronicles. We love sharing this time with all of you. Have a fabulous week, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening and sharing this precious time with me. Please remember to subscribe and to leave me a review. You can find me on Instagram at Siri Lindley, Facebook Siri Lindley, and Twitter at Seltz, S-E-L-T-S. You can also reach me via email at info at Have an amazing day and shine on.